This episode of Off Air with Jane and Fee is brought to you by British Heart Foundation. British Heart Foundation have estimated that up to 7.6 million people are living with heart and circulatory diseases in the UK. And there is something we can all do to help fund life-saving research. And don't worry, Fee, we don't all need to run marathons to fundraise today. Over 50% of their research is funded by gifts in wills. Now, these are really vital in supporting life-saving research. It's such a remarkably positive thing we can all do and definitely something to consider if you are writing your will or thinking of updating it. With a simple act, you can support future scientific breakthroughs that could help save and improve millions of lives. British Heart Foundation offers a free will guide and free will writing services too, helping to make the process as easy as possible. To download your free will guide today and help British Heart Foundation fund life-saving research, search BHF Wills. Right, right. So we uh, we have to bear with uh, Jane today because not for the first time we went out for a little drink after the podcast and the show last night with Matthew Chorley, mm. and we had a lovely time. Mm. And we said we'd just have one drink because it was very much a weeknight, and because he had to get back as well. He's a long, longer train journey than we do. Uh, and then we were having a nice time, so we had drink number two. Mm. And then drink number two was so tasty. And actually, we were just getting to the good bits, weren't we? Mm. So we stayed for drink number three. But the difference between us is that I just had a drink made from grapes with bubbles. And Jane, and honestly, Jane, I couldn't believe it when you started out down this road. You said, I'll have a margarita. Yeah, and I should. I, I won't be going down that road again. Well, actually, <laughs> I wonder whether I... You know, it's been a lifelong haul. And I think you've identified the fact that I am basically allergic to what? Sulfites. Sulfites. Um, whereas today, I don't feel anywhere near as bad as, as you I should. As I should, should <laughs> or would have done if I'd had the equivalent number of bubbly drinks. Yeah. So, so you would have had to have 12 glasses. 12? What? So I, to have the equivalent of the units that you had okay, in your margaritas. I don't, okay, that's, I don't think last night or my... my Which is uh, extraordinary, isn't it? No. no. Okay. I did. It, well, it's one of those classic evenings where you stand up and then you, you think, oh, gosh, okay. And then, um, wait, wait, I'm some distance from my home here at work. And I thought, I'll get a cab. I'd, I'd, I'd definitely get a cab. It's quite expensive. So then, then I thought, no, I feel absolutely fine. I feel fine. Uh, so I blundered onto an underground train and I did fall asleep. I missed the stop. Uh, I know I got a bus. Um, and then, of course, you walk in. The kids were watching Love Island All Stars. And it's that you you try and keep you you try and act. Like, you try and hold it together. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely I I lost the dressing room when I announced that I was just going to have a a bowl of last night's curry heated up with nothing else, and so I just sat in front of the television watching traitors eating curry from a bowl with a spoon, and I think they realised something was up. Okay, right. Well, we won't be doing that again until we do. And I'm looking forward to it already. to make it very clear. Yeah. So Robert Hardman, royal author, is our guest with a substantial chunk of the podcast. Yes. 
So we're so going we to get a wiggle on. We'll get a wiggle on. And also, uh, we've had loads and loads of lovely emails, but we will keep them for next week uh, so you can hear more of Robert Hardman. So please don't think uh, that you've sent an email in vain. I just wanted to read this one from Nick about hearing aids. I think yes, it's, I, I, was, yeah. I picked this one too, actually. OK, well, look, should we do half and half? No, no, you read it, because I think, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm not at my best. <laughs> Right. Uh, my name's Nick. I wear hearing aids and I can tell you a lot about the process. I found out that I needed them when I was about 10 years old, just before secondary school. And after wearing my chunky blue NHS hearing aids for about three days, I quickly realised that I would rather have friends. That's so sad. Mm. And then avoided wearing them for the next 10 years. It turns out that this is quite normal. It takes an average of 10 years for people to go from the point when they find out they could benefit from hearing aids to actually getting some and the majority of people never do. Only about 20% of people who could benefit actually wear them. When I was 20 at university I finally admitted defeat and got some hearing aids to help reduce the amount of times I made a fool of myself in social situations. While the technology is life changing it definitely takes a month or so of continued wearing until your brain gets used to the new sounds that you had previously been missing. Essentially your brain needs time to learn which sounds are important and which are not. I'm now 30 years old and I still don't like how hearing aids look. The fact they're designed to be hidden just implies that I should be ashamed to be seen wearing them. I think that's so it's such a good point, isn't yeah. it? I'd yeah. never thought of that. And uh, Nick goes on to say, having been envious for years of friends who could wear cool medical products for vision impairment, i.e. designer glasses, I became obsessed with the mission of making the hearing equivalent of designer glasses. So Nick has started building his own pair, and after vlogging the design journey on social media, thousands of other people seem to feel the same way and have joined the waitlist on my website, which is overtone.so slash Dot. I hope I've got that right. I think you can just go overtone.so on a search engine. Mm. Uh, they're unapologetically visible and, like glasses, are designed to enhance how you hear and the way that you look. Now, Nick, we couldn't wish you more well. I know that's not really a sentence and I apologise for it, but you know what I mean. Uh, in doing that, because you're, of course you're spot on. You know, we should... We should be able to see a hearing aid. I think yeah. it's valuable to know that somebody is wearing one I think as well. That's also true. Uh, it would help both the wearer and the people that they're with. Definitely. And of course, they should look good. Yeah. Why not? Yep. Um, so good luck with that. Keep yeah. us posted. And thank you for writing in. Yeah, a lot of people have emailed emailed about this, and I'm I'm grateful to everybody. And actually, this is from a, a slightly older individual, um, Anne, who says, uh, "I'm a regular listener. I got mine in October last year. I'm 67, and I've got age-related hearing loss." My father, who had a hearing aid from the mid-60s, always said that you needed to get hearing aids when you were young enough to learn how to use them. So I decided to say yes to them now instead of waiting until I was really struggling. Technology has moved on a lot since his first hearing aid, but they do take a bit of getting used to. I have an aid for each ear. I think that's the standard practice now. The first few days are an experience. Even as you take your first steps out of the appointment, you can hear the rustle of your clothes and there's the traffic noise as well. You think that you're talking too loudly and the click of the indicators in the car can sound like a gun going off. The washing machine and the dishwasher seem to have got louder and I can hear the kettle boiling from the other end of the house. It is irritating, but gradually your brain get, gets used to all this new input and after a week or so, it settles down. 
Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that it has been useful um, for you. Uh, they have been useful for you. Um, and actually, she also, I think this is important. I'm not fond of the app for everything culture, but the aids are linked to an app, which means that I can change the volume or the setting for different locations without taking the aids out. That's good, isn't it? It also means that settings can be changed remotely if necessary. Uh, please note, if I am playing with my phone when you think I shouldn't be, the chances are I'm adjusting my hearing aids, not playing games or looking at YouTube. Um, thank you very much for that, Anne. I'm mm. glad things are working out for you. Uh, another dream has come in. Uh, this one's going to remain anonymous. All very bizarre, says our correspondent. Fee and Jane sat in a village hall waiting for the likes of Bob Mortimer to host something or other. I came in like a whirlwind along with my Sarge, sat next to you both. I said, oh my God, it's you guys, and proceeded to take my stab vest and tack vest off. Cop uniform. Prior to this, my Sarge had a cardiac arrest in the driver's seat of our response cop car. I don't know why I'm laughing. He was all right in the end and we carried on our journey to the village hall. You were both bamboozled from what I recall. Gosh, we were associated with some pretty severe incidents. You know that the life-size squirrel one made it to the newspaper? What? It made it into the London Metro. Did it? Yes, uh, okay. under a piece about uh, the the side effects of HRT, one of them being vivid oh. dreams. Well, but I, it was nice to see it in print. I, it's brilliant to see it in print, and I'm glad that my theory that since I've been on HRT, my dreams have been better than anything on Netflix... Yeah, proved to be right. And, and actually, I did read the rest of the article. It was very informative. Mm. And of course, it's hormonal because I had incredibly vivid dreams when I was pregnant. I mean, like, whoa. Oh, no, that's crazy times. Yes. yes. And that's yeah. hormones, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, it certainly <laughs> is. <laughs> and I had different types of dreams carrying a boy to carrying a girl. Now you've gone too far. Really? Yes. Bit, mm -mm. No, I, I won't tell you why. Crack on. I think I will. Um, this is, uh, it's quite, I'm being indulgent here. You'll be amazed to hear. Um, just mentioning that fabulous Kate Atkinson book, A God in Ruins, and the ending of it, which I won't spoil for anybody. I do urge people to read it. It's one of my favourite Kate Atkinson's books now because I've reassessed it on the strength of an email from Lucy, which I can't really read out because it will spoil it for other people. But it's about the way that novel ends. It's Now I realise it. I've thought about it more and I've read Lucy's thoughtful email. I think it's a genius thing that she does at the end of that book. But you do need to read it. It's about uh, one man's experience of the Second World War and um, the life he goes on to have afterwards, his exceptionally difficult daughter, her challenges. It, it, it's just very, very clever, but also very moving. Can I apologise to everybody for mispronouncing the name of our book club author? Yes. It's Elaine Thurston. I've been yeah. saying Thurston. I know. An elderly lady is up to no good is the title of the book. Uh, we're going to say hello to Kate in Toronto and Canada again. Uh, she gets two days in a row of emails read out. And, and I'm sorry, Kate, that's it. That's, that'll be it in, for another 10 years. Uh, no, of course it's not. Um, and Kate just says, it was such a thrill to hear my email read out on off air that I had to write back with my sincere thanks. It was lovely to hear my mum and Aunt Viv's names read aloud. And sometimes that really is, isn't it? It just brings, oh, it brings people, people back, back to life. It's great. It's a very yeah. nice thing. So I'm really, really with you on that, Kate. Yeah. Uh, but Kate has also written in to try to convince us both not to give up on our cats. And she's very thoughtfully uploaded, uploaded Pete the Cat's video vid to YouTube. God, you would have thought I was the drunk one last night. I've 
uploaded Pete the Cat's video to YouTube to attempt to alleviate your very valid concerns about opening attachments. It took me about two weeks to train Pete to do this and a bit more than that to train him to do the high fives. I'm not joking. Cats can be trained to do all sorts of things. My childhood cat Chester, RIP, could sit, shake paws and jump through a hoop on command, though the latter, I'm sure, he felt beneath him. Don't give up, ladies. Happy to provide consultation. And that's the other point, isn't it, Kate? Because I think although Brian just couldn't give a shit about what he looks like and what he does, I think Barbara would be troubled. Yes. And she, yeah. she, Barbara carries herself with immense disposition. I think she's an aristocratic cat. Well, well, she shits I don't everywhere. think she wants to do... Well, I think many aristocrats oh, you're probably, probably right. do the yeah. same thing. Right. I don't think she wants to do tricks. I'm not going to do a link immediately to Robert Hardman on that note. That would no, be quite wrong. That would be wrong. Because uh, he's talking about the royals. So that's totally different. Uh, but actually, this is important from Sarah. What is the name of that app to measure sound in restaurants? It's sound print. Sound print. There you go, Sarah. Uh, I thought, never heard of it. And I thought uh, it was very good of Fiona to bring that to our attention. Well, Greg Quite interesting. from Soundprint, who's the bloke what set it up yes. over in America, uh, has uh, heard the podcast and it being mentioned. So we're all in one great big happy group. Isn't it lovely when life comes together like Isn't that? Isn't it? Yeah, really nice. Uh, we've had some names, suggested names for our new media news feature, which I think is on a Wednesday, isn't it? Uh, Pat says, Mr. Pat Kelly, puts the Mr. in brackets, which I rather like. I like people who do that. I used to write uh, notes to my sister's school saying she couldn't do hockey because she had a veruca or whatever it was. And I'd always sign it, Maureen Garvey, brackets, Mrs. Yes. Because <laughs> I was pretending to be my mother. It's a naughty thing. I can confess it now. Yeah. Bad Jane. <laughs> I think that's probably the one useful thing I did for my sister during our adolescence. Anyway, Pat Kelly, brackets, yeah. Mr. Close brackets, says, how about the lovey's lowdown for our media news? Oh, gosh. Not sure about that, really. And Kate is enjoying uh, Boy Swallows Universe on Netflix, but she didn't like the book. Oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, she didn't even read it. She said she was so put off by it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so I did, I caught the trailer for that on the flicks. And I like the book so much, I can't watch the series. Oh, you know that differently with you, yep. doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, let's get, I think we've left enough uh, space now to move on to <laughs> Robert Hardman. Shitting aristocrats. <laughs> I, well, I wasn't going to re reference that again. I was just going to let that lie. But you've gone there. So there we are. Right. Just everybody cleanse their palate. Here we go. Robert Hardman, uh, his name has been very much in the news uh, here, certainly in the UK over the last couple of days. Uh, he's an incredibly in-the-know Daily Mail journalist and something of an authority on the British royal family. He's written a great deal about them, about other subjects as well, I should say, over the years. But his latest book is called uh, Charles III, The Inside Story. And obviously, just reminding people outside the UK that there's been a great deal of news about the royal family uh, this week because we've learned that the king is going to have a procedure on his prostate next week and that, of course, the Princess of Wales is in hospital recovering from quite, all we know is quite a serious abdominal operation. So um, lots of talk about the royals this week and lots of sympathy extended to them too. Um, this book is not authorised by... Sorry, not. Yes, you can, I was on, doing all right there and then last night's come back to Did bite me. Did you buffer? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> 
literally <laughs> Rockford, didn't I? Uh, this book by Robert Hardman is not authorised, but it comes with a certain amount of authority because he's got some cracking sources, has Robert. And he believes in the book that um, the palace will wish that he hadn't included everything that's in there. But broadly speaking, I think it's fair to say he is a supporter of the royal family, isn't he? He's not yeah, and I think, he, yeah, I think he does a brilliant thing, actually, Jane, because he, he tells us things that, that we don't know about the royal family mm. whilst not making us uh, laugh at them or dislike them or mm. disrespect he's them. he's not a sycophant. That's no, so it's a very clever act. It's not an act, it's just a very clever skill. Yeah, so this is um, a lengthy interview and there's. Uh, we hope that you enjoy it and let us know what you think. I mean, you don't have to be a monarchist or anybody remotely interested in the royal family. Uh, we hope to enjoy this, but you might well have a view. So let us know, Jane and Fee at times.radio. So we did start by asking about the health of the king and that news from yesterday that he will undergo a procedure on his prostate next week. I had no idea at all about um, the, the, that he was um, heading for hospital or indeed that um, the Princess of Wales was was already in hospital. No. And the fact that the King has chosen, uh, presumably he's chosen, to be mm. completely transparent about what his issue is, is that significant? It feels like a change. It does. I, I, it definitely feels like a, a, a gentle shift of, of, of tone, really, of... Um, you know, clearly, anyone's private medical details remain private. I mean, yes, we have a right to know if a monarch is ill, but we don't have the right to know everything. But I, I, I just thought that you know the words "enlarged prostate" in a in a palace statement. I mean, that's that's quite something. You know, that's and that's it's partly, I think, a case of sort of moving with the times. But I think it's also partly a kind of case of leading by example. It's and we've sort of slightly seen that you get occasionally get sports personalities talking about. They have particular, you know, whether it's testicular cancer or whatever, or, or, or other celebrities talking about, um, uh, bravely talking about things that must be extremely painful to talk about, but with a, with a view to spreading the word. And I, I think there's an element of that here as well, with with him getting it out there. Certainly, that's what we're being told. Is he he, he didn't want to kind of hold back because you know. Maybe other people might now get checked out. If it can happen to a king, it can happen to you and so on. Yeah. Um, we know he's not his mother, but this is a very good example of how he isn't his mother. Yes. I mean, it's it's a change. I say it's a change of gear. Um, and I, I noticed that while I was, you know, doing my book, um, that just things are, they haven't changed dramatically. I mean, monarchy is not a... It's not a brand of toothpaste. It doesn't have a sort of image relaunch under under new ownership. But it it it, it, it actually it, it sort of stands for continuity. But each each monarch, each reign, you know, you do it differently. You do it in your own way, and it, it's definitely it's one of those things. I'm sure. Um, you know, when 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 the next person writing a book about him comes along, they, they will point to this moment and say that was that was interesting because there was a, I think a much greater degree of. Uh, of of mind your own business in 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 when it came to royal medical bulletins in the past. In fact, I was looking back at one uh, when I always remember in the middle of the um, Diamond Jubilee in 2012. There was a sort of slightly awful moment um, in the right in the middle of the commemorations between the the River Pageant and the service at St Paul's. I think it was that the, that the Duke of Edinburgh was suddenly taken into hospital, and we were told at the time it's a you know, minor infection, but we didn't get any any anything like this sort of level of detail. Can we just talk about the Princess of Wales, whose whose illness uh, we don't know? And we, I mean, I am absolutely not going to use this mm. as an opportunity to ask you if you. Uh, well, we've answered the question, <laughs> uh, but no forty-two-year-old woman who's previously been extremely healthy stays in hospital for quite a chunk of time, up to two weeks, we're told, unless it's pretty serious. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not a, in any way a, a medical expert. I mean, it's clearly, it is, uh, it, it, it is serious because, you know, as you say, it's a, it's a, lot, a long stint. Um, but, uh, you know, we, 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 we've had various reassurances from the various sort of bulletins that it's, you know, it's not this, it's not that. I mean, I think it's just a case of just make sure she's absolutely, absolutely fine and fighting fit when she comes out. She's very popular. And do you think that if somebody did find out why she went into hospital and what the surgery is and chose to make that public, there would be a huge backlash against that? Would anybody really be able to publish that if they did know? Well, I suppose we, we, we live in an age of ever more intrusive or, or, or just inventive social media and I, I suspect something like that wouldn't necessarily um, stay secret for long, but I, I can't imagine any responsible outlet publishing it, publicising it. I mean, there are very strict rules regarding you know, medical details. And let's not forget, I mean, there was that incident some years ago when she was in hospital with uh, with very severe morning sickness, um, I think it was. Um, it I, was, I don't yeah. remember the medical details, but I certainly remember the incident when you had two Australian uh, radio presenters ringing up the hospital pretending uh, to be royal and getting through and, and a, a, some of this poor nurse, you know, late at night, you know, um, answered the phone, put, the, put them through. I, I can't remember the exact details, but it was, it was... It was a great, it was a breach of trust in a hospital situation and the nurse was so mortified that she killed herself. I mean, that was absolutely devastating for everybody. I think the radio presenters, uh, I, I, I won't name them, I can't remember their names. I know one of them lost their job. I think a career was over. I mean, the whole thing, everything about it was just so ghastly um, that I think it was a reminder that, you know, royal health is just no moment for taking liberties, let alone levity. Kate's absence, I mean, Fia's absolutely right, Kate is popular. She is the family's stardust, isn't she, actually, at the moment. And the fact that she won't be on the public stage for, well, a couple of months, perhaps longer, it does expose the slightly threadbare nature of the working royal unit at the moment. Well, yeah, we, we heard a lot, and we have heard a lot in recent years about, you know, the slimmed-down monarchy. Everyone kept talking about how, you know, will Charles slim down the monarchy? Well, I mean, it, it was slimming itself um, quite readily um, up to, um, well, first, obviously, the death of the Duke of Edinburgh and the Queen. Um, and, yeah, it's 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 a pretty um, reduced working unit at the best of times. And, and But I, I, over the years, it, it just, it adapts, it evolves. I mean, it, it, you know, they, they just, they they get on with it. You can't rustle up extra royals when you need them. You have to have to make do, and and it will be. It will certainly be a a, a loss because you know the 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 Waleses had a had a spring program, quite a busy spring program of events. I think you know as an institution, it'll cope perfectly well until there's one of the the sort of the, the those big items, those big moments that happen in the calendar. Um, and if if we were looking at a. Um, you know, big, say the the that big week in June where you have uh, the, the the birthday parade, everybody on parade for the, the for trooping the colour, followed by the Knights of the Garter all gathering at Windsor, followed by Royal Ascot, followed by garden parties galore, Holyrood House, all that sort of stuff where people really expect to get their kind of royal fix in the summer. I mean that then then it would be felt, I think, a lot more sorely. Whereas January. Um, yeah, it's 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 an issue. But I mean, yes, you're right. I mean, to to be to have your your absolute 
um, you know, your, your number one star um, out of action for a quarter of the year is, is, is definitely a challenge. Well, wouldn't this be the time over there in the USA for Harry to pick up the phone? Uh, I mean, is there any hope that that could happen? I, I think the, the idea of a sort of um, an emergency enforced um, deem exit strategy, I, I I can't see it. I really can't. I mean, blood's thicker than water, Robert. Blood's thicker than water. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is. But, but uh, you know, it, it, if you Harry and Meghan have taken a very clear decision to sort of step back from royal life, um, and to go back into royal life to sort of, as it were, hold the fort, uh, I, it, it just you know it, w- it wouldn't happen. It would. Uh, why? Why would they do it? Why would? The palace want it. Um, I I think it's a case that we they just have to get on with with the, the cards they've been dealt. What do you know about the current state of their relationship? Well, the the king uh, always, you know, he, he his view is you know open door. You know, let's keep the door open and let's see what happens. There isn't a, there isn't a sort of great standoff. Um, but um, I think that the, the relationship is probably a harder one to fix. Is is between the brothers. Um, I think um, you know you had the the the, the two things that really um, driven the, the this sort of schism. One was the Oprah Winfrey interview, which was absolutely extraordinary, probably the most I would say seismic bit of royal um, broadcasting since um, Diana's Panorama interview in 1995. And there was that, and then there was the publication of his book Spare. There was there was that sort of six part Netflix documentary, but that was. Um, to put it in a Californian way, so curated um, that it... it, it, it Good was sort accent of, there, oh, Robert. Yeah, yeah. Well, I try. Sorry, don't, don't get me doing Australian. Um, but, um, uh, but, you know, it was... Uh, Spare was... It was less damaging to the institution, but it was, it was really that, that capacity to just chuck precious, intimate childhood conversations, often perfectly nice ones. I mean, actually, you read Spare... Everybody comes out of it pretty much okay. Um, you know, even you, you, you go into it thinking, you know, Camilla Parker Bowles, later Duchess of Cornwall, is going to be depicted as sort of Cruella de Vil, and actually, she, she, even she, you know, is is, is treated sympathetically, and uh, and and Charles comes out of it um, as a as sort of endearing, slightly eccentric dad, and there's clearly a deep rooted bond, love with 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 William. But for all that. Just in putting so much of that out there, putting these sort of childhood stories and and and, and feuds and and all the rest of it uh, so publicly um, was just so wounding for someone as um, rigorously private as as Prince of Wales, Prince William, who really does guard his his privacy. I mean, they all do, but I think he in particular. I think I think to have all that suddenly thrown out in the open was just such an extraordinary act of 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 unthinking if you're going to be charitable of, of just stupidity but you know or, or else just malevolence that I think that will take a long time to, to, to recover. So do you have to run past Charles and anybody else that you know in the royal family the details that you've revealed in your book? No, no I haven't no I, I mean I it's a not an authorised biography I mean yeah some people you interview ask, you know, can you, can you, can we check our quotes at the end? I mean, that's that sort of standard practice. Um, not actually with, um, with, 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 with royals um, 
come to think of it, but um, but it can be with with some people, and that's you know that's goes with any any sort of book. But no, there's been no um, no author, no no censorship, no editorial control. I'm I'm a a free agent, and I'm sure there are bits in the book that they'd much rather weren't there. Well, it's all thriller, no filler, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you you do hint, and it feels like the wrong time to be unpleasant about uh, the Prince of Wales because he's clearly got a lot on his plate at the moment, but that you hint that he's a somewhat less substantial figure than than his father that he, he doesn't read for example that he's, he's not he's not he's not religious well most of us aren't religious uh, but that presents a challenge if you are going to be the head of of a church possibly uh when you assume which yes which I, yeah. I i'm sure he will be by the way um uh i mean in in the, in the book it's very clear that he, he he's not he's not interested in in, in religion particularly I've, it's one, as i say i mean someone very close to him said he's not instinctively comfortable in a faith environment he goes to church like most people um you know high days holidays um easter and christmas weddings he will actually have to start going to church a bit more than he likes because as prince of wales as a kind of heir you tend to become you become the sort of chief national mourner um monarchs don't as a, on the on the whole go to other people's state funerals um so whenever there's going to be and, and there's just a constant churn but as, as is the nature of life there's always an important funeral, state funeral, president, retired president, whatever, going on somewhere in the world, Britain needs to be properly represented, so you send the Prince of Wales. So he's got a lot of that coming up. But going back to your point, he um he's just he's 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 a different character. He's a he's a he's a regular guy, I think as someone said in the in the in whom I interviewed. And that that's I think that's the difference. I mean it's not that he doesn't read. He does he doesn't have that sort of appetite or that that kind of questing uh intellectual uh, instinct that, that I think the, the, the king does. You know, I don't think you'll have him lying awake at night wondering about the meaning of life or wanting to go on sort of uh, pilgrimages or solaces or retreats to Greek monasteries. It's just not his thing, you know. He's, and, and as, as, as I think, uh, again, as I say in the book, you know, he, I compare him, or he's, he's compared to me, as he's, he's rather like George VI, you know, who was another sort of, you know, dependable regular guy but you know boy when you're in a crisis when when it comes to duty absolutely it's exactly what you need he's just different uh, you do say i think i've made a note of it that charles at one point was employing 10 gardeners mm -hmm. at highgrove his home in gloucestershire mm. why because he, he loves gardening i think it was, it was a point being made by someone who i was saying well you know isn't he quite extravagant um, uh, because we always have that image of, of the Queen with her sort of Tupperware boxes and going around the house turning out the lights. And someone made the point that actually the cost of all the racehorses and all the racing stuff was considerably more than 10 gardeners. Um, but yes, he, he, I mean, the garden at Highgrove is a great, great labour of love. And it's, it's I mean, it's a, it's a sort of, it's got a farm attached, a home farm. It's got, um, I mean, I walked around it with him actually. And it, 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 it's, it's very much bits of it have, very sort of tidy and ornate bits of it are the sort of wildflower meadows. There's, I mean, it's quite something, but yeah, it it it's it takes quite a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, we know that uh, they're a royal family, so they live in a very different way from the rest of us. But you, you've got Highgrove. He's also got the use of five houses in Scotland mm -hmm. and Buckingham Palace, <coughs> Windsor Castle, <coughs> Sandringham, Clarence House, <coughs> and Highgrove. Camilla has her own home. He's got a farm in Transylvania. And a farm in Wales. In Wales, yeah. Is that all right? 
It's uh, they're very conscious. Um, I know that within the palace, people were expecting this to become a much bigger deal than it's become. I mean, particularly at a time of sort of cost of living crisis, the idea you've got a head of state who's got, I think, eleven. I try. I was sort of trying to tot it up. It slightly depends whether you count the Transylvanian operation as two farmhouses or one. And um, in Wales, it's sort of the the rental is in two. I mean, you could, if you really wanted to boil it down, you could say he's got fourteen houses. Um, but I mean, the, the 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 point is actually most of them. They're not residences. I mean, the, the the property in Wales is there to sort of promote Welsh craft and Welsh Welshness, and it's there. It's that it's it's up there for 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 rent. It's a sort of um, but he stays in it every now and then to give it that sort of royal imprimatur to to show that he's uh, interested in it. And the the, the the house in Transylvania. I mean, anybody can can rent that. I mean, he probably spends one two nights a year. The rest of the time, it's for sale. Um, my, some some in-laws of mine once once rented it for a weekend. They didn't even know it was his. They were renting. They needed someone nearby, and they ended up there. Um, but but nonetheless, yes, it's it's uh, he's got more homes than his late mother because he's inherited all hers, and he's still got his. So you know, Highgrove Clarence House on top of and the, the Castle of Maine, Dumfries House in Scotland on top of all of the other ones. That's that's a lot of residences. So that's that's got a. That's got to change. And I think what we're going to see in the year ahead is an awful lot of, of tidying up to do on all these things. I mean, not just what do you do with a lot of these properties. Um, you've got the whole issue of all the patronages, hundreds of them. I mean, they all went back into the mix after the death of the Queen and they've all got to be sort of reallocated. Um, and, and the events of the last few days are sort of reminder, well, what do you do if, you know, you're, I mean, the Princess of Wales, for example, you know, she's the colonel of the... Um, Irish guards now that, that that's you know what's going to happen on St Patrick's Day when the Colonel of the Irish Guards normally goes and presents shamrocks. I mean, all these things have to be thought through, and then on top of that, you've got the whole issue of the um, royal warrants, which matter enormously to hundreds of businesses all over the country for them having that badge of badge of honour. They last for two years after the. Um, death of a what they call a grand tour. So um, all the Queen's royal warrants they all expire in September. The Duke of Edinburgh's were already gone. What happens to all? You know, how do we keep that sort of essential bit of, if you like, promoting British excellence? All that's got to be sorted out. Um, and and the and and wither the residences is is part of that. And and certainly what it, what I go into in the book, and it's it's, it's obviously the slightly less sensational part of the book, talking about uh, slinky heat pumps and double glazing at the palace. But I mean, it's 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 all part of what's going on. Um, you know, the the, the Buckingham Palace is in the middle of a ten-year refurbishment, um, and once that's over, I mean, obviously you couldn't begin to start um, opening it up in any significant way now. But once that's over, we are going to see more public use of that. I think we will see um, Balmoral, for example, being opened up more and more. And, and you know, a lot of those other places, like the Castle of May, it, he stays there a few days a year. Um, but it's a charitable trust and actually... He's, someone put it to me that he's a great believer in the living tradition. People are much more interested in looking around houses that, that are lived in from time mm, to time. Yeah. Uh, and I went, did go up to Dumfries' house a, a couple of years ago to, to um, interview him. And I sort of spent a weekend. Um, there's a sort of guest house there. Um, and that's 
That estate was completely under lock and key before he bought it. Nobody was allowed in. There was a sort of gamekeeper who would wander around with a gun saying, get off my land. Uh, and the dowager marchioness of Butte used to sit in the house on her own with her dogs, uh, dogs on the amazing Chippendale furniture, and she just sat in an old armchair, and she liked watching the racing, and that's how it was for years, and nobody went there, and suddenly he ended up buying it, opening it up, and all the people go there. So well, we'd, never, we'd never seen it before. We'd never been in, and now it's, it's, it's just like public thoroughfare. People go in, there's playgrounds. You can go in whenever you like. It's free. Mm. Um, so there's all that kind of stuff, but... You know, on paper, it's another residence. Yes, it's one, I mean, and, and, you put up a spirited defence. I have, a number but, of but but also, I, I also I can see it's 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 also it's a big um, you know PR challenge. You know, what are you what are you going to do about all these properties? How do you how do you on the one hand give them um, life by using them from time to time, but on the other. Um, whether the accusations that you're living in a complete ivory tower because you've got all these houses and people always say, well, there's a homeless crisis. Why aren't we putting, um, you know, more people in, in? You know, you could think how many people you could you could accommodate in in all these places. So it's it's a juggling act, and I think the answer will be that you know quite a few will 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 effectively become rather like Hampton Court palaces now or the Tower of London. I mean, they're technically royal premises. They come under the orbit of something called historic royal palaces. Um, or you've got something like Kensington Palace, where sort of half it's public, it's sort of like a museum, but half of it is actually lived in by by royalty. And I think the, the, there will have to be a sort of a, a, a clarity there. Particularly, you've got a slim down monarchy, and yet uh, ostensibly this vast property portfolio. That they, those two can't go together, but they they don't need to be told that. I mean, that's 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 in hand. I'm just uh, I'm just surprised it hasn't become a bigger thing already. Yeah, well, I suppose it was quite. You made it quite a big thing for me, actually, Robin. <laughs> when I was reading the book, just very, very quickly. Do, do you fear for the future of the of the institution? Bearing in mind that monarchies tend to do better, the sweeping generalisation <laughs> alert uh, under <laughs> under female monarchs. Yeah, and you know we've had the late Queen. It, for all of us, I think is the Queen. Yeah, uh, and she's, she's even got her own dictionary entry in German. Actually, there's um, for years in the German dictionary. Um, uh, Duden, um, it was, you know, Kernigan is the word for queen, but the new edition, it, it has it says de-queen, um, yeah. and then it says there is no plural. There's right. just one, the mm. queen. But we won't <coughs> have one. We won't have one for a very long time. Mm, I know. And isn't that a bit of an issue? I wouldn't say it's an issue. I mean, I think it's a source of... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm no disrespect to William and George, you know, um, uh, they are, it goes with the territory of a hereditary monarchy, you know, it, it's, it's, it is, goes back to, you know, the, the, the cards you're dealt. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, Queen's, through the 40 monarchs we've had um, since the Norman Conquest, I mean, Queen's have been so much more impressive than the King's. And they're a tiny number, I mean, whatever it is, six. Um, someone will probably ring in and, and correct me, and we can have a debate about Lady Jane Grey later. But okay. I mean, you know, it's 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 a small fraction, um, many many more kings. But you ask anybody, name your best top five monarchs in history, and they are absolutely going to put in the mix Elizabeth I, Victoria, and Elizabeth II. Mm. And then we could argue about the other two. Let's kings. not mention Bloody Mary. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, some might put her in. Um, but, but I mean, the point is, uh, yeah, queens are are of. I mean, are, are the track record is 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 super impressive. And it was what that was one of the arguments when there was this recurring debate, as there was really the through 
since probably the 80s onwards, you'd see quite a lot of private members' bills a growing pressure to change the laws of succession, saying, you know, this is ridiculous. Queens do better than kings. Why, why do we give men a head start? And that was one of the reasons for changing the rules, which happened on 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 the, the late Queen's Watch, finally with the succession to the Crown Act. Um, but um, yeah, we 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 are not going to see a Queen regnant um, in our lifetimes. Mm. That's for sure. Um, Jane intends to live forever. So oh, well, it could happen in hers. Yes. I didn't uh, want to be Queen myself. I think secretly <laughs> you do. Can I just ask you, uh, when you spend time with King Charles, is he companionable? Uh, do you feel that you're in the presence of your monarch? What's he actually like as a chap? He's, uh, yes, he's 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 a very kind of um, genial host. I mean, when I'm there, I'm not there as a sort of, as a charm. I mean, I'm not there as an authorised biographer. I mean, he did do an authorised biography, a very good one. Jonathan Dimbleby did it with him um, and, and a film back in the in the 90s. And, and so it, had a, it was a completely different order of actors. I'm not an authorised book. Um, I'm writing a, a documentary that's obviously sort of following him around but you know very much sort of you know tradesman's entrance not not sitting down at the the, the, the dinner table um but he's always and and queen camilla as well they're always very um you know they're they're, they're very friendly um they're not over friendly uh you you're there to do a job um you're you're you know observing um but yes in sort of you know private moments maybe you, you you sort of have a chat about things um nothing you know radical or substantial but i mean i just remember on 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 the old um i went on a, i was on the state visit with them to, to 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 germany um back in the spring and you know at the end of that they sort of came back down the plane to have a chat with us all and you know talk about how it went um and yeah that there he he's he has extremely, I think he has extremely good manners. I sort of notice that around people, even after people have sort of seen him, even people who are not, people who are quite notably anti-monarchist, um, you know, they, they sort of come away. He's, he's very charming. Um, he's, uh, yeah, we all know he's, you know, he does have a, a temper. We saw that with his with his, with pen. his pen. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, there are enough sort of anecdotes about that sort of thing over the years. But um, he's, he's, He's very happy now. That's the thing I noticed. I mean, I, I, I sort of on and off been writing about royalty for, I don't know, since the 90s. And so I've seen him in action quite a bit over the years, in the sort of darker years, um, through the sort of noughties and, and up to the present. And, and I would say he is, he's more contented now than, than certainly than I've, I've seen him before. And I think that, that just... that. People often said that about the Queen as well, that in, when she got to later stages of life... You look back in the 60s, 70s, even in the 80s, people always comment on how glum she looked. She didn't smile very much. And then she she got to the sort of noughties. And it was around about the time <clears throat> that she'd actually lost her mother and her sister. And so, you know, a period of great sadness. But I think also there was a sort of release. And, 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 a, and, and as someone put it to me, a serenity. Um, when she, you know, finally hit what everybody could agree was old age. It was like, well, I've done what I... And do I, I can't really do any more. I'm just going to carry on. I'm going to enjoy it. Um, and and she was a very smiley queen in in her later years. And I I noticed with him, he's he's a he's a happy monarch. Robert Hardman. The book is out now. It is King Charles the Third. That's all you need to know. You're a bit obsessed with the property side of the royal family. I am. Well, I'm a bit like Robert Hardman. 
I don't know why more people don't get exercised by it. Um, I think I understand completely. I, I, by the way, I don't think we should have a republic in Britain. I rather like the idea, which isn't to say that the royal, current royal family and certain members of it don't have a certain amount of, well, more than baggage in the case of Andrew. Um, but and, and I totally understand that if you're going to have a royal family, they have to live differently from the rest of us. Otherwise, what is the point? I don't want to bump into them at little when I'm buying my bread first thing in the morning. Don't think they should all be cycling around. No, like, I don't. I don't. I'm not a like the Danes, not the Scandinavian model. We managed to pick on the Danes. Yeah, but it is an extraordinary property portfolio. And as Robert says, you've got to be a bit careful because some of the properties they own, some they just have the use of. It's all a little bit complicated, but nevertheless. It's it's a it's a world that few of us could ever dream of. Well, it is, but uh, I'd like to know more about the usage of all of those properties when the royal family aren't in residence anywhere. Well, because you did talk about like the farmhouse in Wales, for example, is dedicated to keeping up the great traditions of Welsh crafts, and I I, I absolutely get it. But you know, you've got you've got to have a huge amount of money, which they have. Which, again, is something else that I'm not sure many people ask all that many questions about. So, uh, uh, William said something quite intriguing, didn't he, about how he wanted to actually put his money where his mouth is about homelessness mm. and do something in a well, bricks and mortar sense. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there is a a big change coming where we will see some of those residences used mm. uh you know, for 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 really, really proper working help for people. Yeah. Because, you know, the there is a difference, isn't there? Keeping crafts alive and all of that kind of stuff is a fantastic cause, but it's not at the kind of emergency end of help, mm. actually. Uh, so it would be good to see that happen. But I, I've got a funny thing, and I'm sure, you know, you have this too, that in as much as I would like all of that property portfolio to be far more democratic. I also don't want to see lots of beautiful old buildings and castles and stuff just bought by very rich people, which is what would happen if they went onto the market. And Robert's right. Nobody would ever go into them again. So his story of the Marchioness Dowager Duchess of, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten. I think that's her official title. Yeah. You know, being the only person. Oh, at, sitting in Dumfries House. In Dumfries at, House, yes, yeah. you know, with all of the the dogs on the Chippendale uh, furniture. You know, that will happen again. So castles would be bought by enormously rich private yeah. individuals and the gates would close and nobody would ever get into them again. I mean, most people haven't even heard of Dumfries House, but at the moment... What the do you king... have if you live in Scotland, actually? Okay, right. Well, they probably don't necessarily associate it with the royals. So it's just that the king is, is currently at Burke Hall, which is a house of his... It's on the Balmoral Estate, but isn't Balmoral Castle. Uh, and then he's also got his big home in Gloucestershire. Well, we said, I mean, it, I listed them in the interview. I, I, I just think, is why don't more people? I mean, we've got the, the Republic movement. It's not a particularly big movement. And actually, Robert writes about Republic and actually says that they're a perfectly decent body of people who just very sincerely believe that we ought to have 
a conversation about the future of the monarchy. And, you know, there was that farcical nonsense on Coronation Day where the leader of Republic, Graham Smith, was arrested. And apparently, according to Robert's book, the the palace were absolutely horrified because they they know the man bears them no personal ill will at all. He just believes in that cause. And he's absolutely allowed to, isn't he? Mm. It's a free country. Yeah. Do you think it's why you've not been ennobled, though? I mean, I think... In the dark hours. Does that I, trouble you? Occasionally I do think about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What did you think about last night? Oh, don't talk to me about last <laughs> no. night. Jane had a rough night, kids. Uh, right. Not entirely caused by drink, in fairness no. to me. No. <laughs> but it is funny, isn't it, that, you know, you, you, I was in such good spirits on my way home. A little bit of a, a tummy episode at the house. <laughs> not Not related to me, I should say, but... Golly, what a night. <laughs> oh, what a night. Uh, and we've all had them, haven't we? Up in the night. with, And I've had, I should say, do you know what I was thinking in the dark hours, around about half four this morning? People who are proper carers, I mean, people who properly care for people through the night, whether it's a sibling or it could be, it could be a child. We know people have all children who have terrible illnesses and caring for partners through the wee small hours. They do it every night, every night. How do people do that? I do not know. No. And all credit to you. Hugely impressive. If that's you. Yeah, quite. Uh, So Jane is, this Jane is not here on Monday. It's me and Jane Mulcairns in our very strange kind of working threesome relationship. Uh, You're attending a family function and expect to be extremely hungover on Monday. No, no, I won't be at all, actually. Okay. It'll be very respectable, but I just want to be able to enjoy it. Yeah, fair enough. I've ordered the turkey. And on Monday, uh, we'll be talking to Tom Dean, who is the fantastic swimming champion who's hoping to get five gold medals at the Paris 2024 Games. Oh, wow. For Britain? For, for, for Britain. Right. Yes. He's not just going to... No, he's not renting himself out to Germany on a Thursday, no. France on a Friday. Bring them all home. No. Uh, so we will talk to him and have a lovely weekend. Jane O'Fee at Timestop Radio if you'd like to email us. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, You can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much. Everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Mm-hmm.